Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. Today I want to wrap up. I'm wrapping up the series we've been in, which is entitled what? We've been in this thing seven weeks, and there's six of you that knew the title. Thank you. I'm, I'm blown away. The Invisible War. We've been discussing the invisible enemies of our souls, talking about why life is so tough and why we have so many battles that we have to fight in life. And today, I want to wrap up this series by uh, looking at exactly how we fight these battles by preparing for them with a message that the Apostle Paul gives us in Ephesians 6. This really important message that Paul uh, gives us in Ephesians 6 concerning fighting these battles is this. You ready? Don't fight naked. I don't care who you are. That's some pretty sound advice right there. Don't go around fighting naked. Bad things are going to happen. Now, that's not exactly how Paul said it. He says, before we go into battle, we need to make sure we have put on the full armor of God. Don't go into battle naked. Put on that full armor. But as we go through the text, I want to point out some things that Paul teaches us about fighting uh, all of these various battles that we fight. And there are many. There's battles of temptations. Anybody fight those battles? Battles of depression, battles of discouragement, battles of doubt, battles of fear, battles of anger, battles of disappointment. The list could go on. The main thing that Paul is saying to us here, I think in Ephesians 6, is that these battles are going to come our way at different times in life. And if we're not fully prepared for them, they will undoubtedly just slap you silly and eventually they will take you down. So here's some things that Ephesians 6 shows us. The first thing is that we must get dressed for the battle. I highly doubt that any soldier has ever walked out onto a battlefield naked, at least not on purpose. You know, this afternoon there'll be a lot of Major League Baseball games. Being played, I guarantee you not one single player is going to walk out on that field without his baseball pants, his gloves, have his batting helmet. I mean, when you know you're headed for a fight, you need to be prepared, right? Now, here's what Paul says in Ephesians 6.10. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against all the devil's schemes. If you don't have, if you don't have on the full armor of God that he has provided for you when you go into battle, you are not going to be able to stand. You're going to get knocked down. Some people say this. They say, well, you know, that's why I just stay clear of battles. I, I don't want any part of them. Well, again, I'm sorry to be the one to tell you this, but you have no choice. You were born into the battle. Say it with me. You were born into the battle. 
I know you didn't ask for all of these battles that you have to fight in life, but the fact is that when you were born on this earth, it was part of the package deal. There is this invisible war that goes on every single day between good and evil, light and darkness, God and Satan. Now let me say this first. God and Satan are not equal enemies. God is infinitely more powerful than Satan. And one day, God's just going to snap his fingers or blink his eyes or whatever he wants to do, and that's going to be the end of Satan. But that day is not here. For right now, God allows Satan to exist. And here is some gospel according to Doug. As I have read through the Bible, I've processed this in I believe God, or God has allowed Satan to exist among humanity so that people will have a choice. Remember, we established early on in this series that it's not real love unless you have a choice. You don't really truly love someone unless you have the choice not to love them. Does that make sense? True love has to involve having a choice. So God has given humanity, he's allowing this human, uh, humanity to have a choice between good and evil, and that choice he leaves up to us. We can either choose God or we can choose Satan, but we're choosing one of the two. You may say, well, I haven't chose God, but I haven't chose Satan either. You're fooling yourself. By merely not choosing God it automatically, you, ref, you, you choose Satan. There is no in-between. There's no middle ground. We choose one or the other. Now, our big problem for humanity, our big problem right now is this. Satan does not have the power to hurt God. He doesn't have that power. So what do you do when you can't get to someone to hurt them? You hurt someone that they love that you can get to. That's what's been going on for the last couple thousand years. The bottom line is that Satan a lot of times uses us as pawns just to get back at God because he hates God so much for casting him out. That's really what all the pain and hurt in this world is all about. Now we all know that there are a lot of people in this world who don't believe in God. They call themselves atheists, but a lot of times they're just lying to, they're lying to themselves. They're trying to convince them of an un, themselves of an untruth. But they'll tell you they don't believe in God. But here's what I find more amazing than that, is that there's even way more people who say they don't believe in, uh, or that they believe in God, but they don't believe in Satan. Now figure that one out. Oh, I'll believe in the good, but I choose not to believe in the bad. Isn't that the simple way out? My lands. Well, did you notice, did everybody notice what this verse said? I'm going to say it, read it again. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against who? The devil. The devil is real. Satan is real. People like to joke about him. They like to you know, make little pictures of him in his red pajamas with a little pitchfork. I'm telling you, Satan is no laughing matter. Satan hates you. 
you didn't hear anything else I said this morning, listen to this. This is truth. Satan hates your guts. Am I allowed to say guts, Pastor Todd? Okay. He hates your guts. Hates you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your career, your finances. He wants to destroy every part of your life. In fact, nothing would make Satan happier than if you would just kill yourself. Because that saves him a lot of time and effort. And that's not meant to be humorous. I'm just telling you, you want to make Satan's day? That's how you do it. And please note that Satan is not stupid. Some people treat Satan like he's just a big goofball. Well, when you do that, let me just ask the question, who's the goofball? Satan has a lot of strategy. He's got a lot of tricks up his sleeve. And I would say this, if God had to put a warning label on Satan, you know how everything today has to have a warning label. You know, be careful, this coffee's hot. In case you didn't know, it would burn you. You take your life in your own hands by ordering coffee. Everything has a warning label. Here's what Satan's warning label would be. It would say, do not attempt to outsmart. That's what I think the warning label. You're never going to outsmart Satan. And let me say this, Satan is never afraid of you. Satan is afraid of God. So that's the bad news. You were born into this battle. But the good news is this. You were born to win. A lot of false rumors around today. Springsteen would have you believe, baby, you were born to run. No. Too many people doing that. The truth is, you were born to what? You were born to win. 1 John 4, 4 tells us greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You can be a winner if you'll choose to be. If you choose to run, you'll run. But Satan is not afraid of you. Satan is afraid of who is in you. See, as a Christian, when God's Holy Spirit is in you. You don't have to fear Satan. He fears you, but you better be dressed for the battle. Because even though he fears you because you have God in you, he's still coming after you. That's the bottom line. The second thing that this portion of Scripture tells us is this. We have to know who the real enemy is. One of the biggest reasons that people walk around all defeated, feeling all discouraged all the time, is because they really have not figured out who the real enemy is. Now, this morning, you may think that your enemy is some other person that you, you know, just gives you a horrible time. Mean, nasty person. That's the, you may think that's the enemy. Or you may think the enemy is the, a bad economy. You may think that your enemy is a political party or a particular pol uh, politician. You may be thinking the Muslims are your enemy or COVID-19 is your enemy and the list can go on and on. If that's what you're thinking, then your big problem is you don't know who the real enemy is. 
verse 12 tells us. It says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. We're fighting against rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So I said all that to say this, do not try to take on Satan by yourself. Because chances are very good he's smarter than you. He's been around and has a lot of experience. Thousands of years to gain knowledge and experience. He hasn't gained a lot of wisdom. But if you don't have wisdom and you're just fighting smarts against smarts, he's going to beat the pants off of you every time. Don't try to take on Satan by himself. He's not afraid of you, and you are going to get beaten up very badly. And the truth is, we've all been beaten up by Satan a little bit at different times in our life, right? He's used us before. I mean, even as Christians, uh, how many of us have ever, you know, said something we knew we shouldn't have said, but we said it anyway? Because in our mind, well, it just needs to be said. Or you did something you knew you really shouldn't do, but you went ahead and did it. You know, these are just a few examples of Satan using us to get back at God. And I'll throw this in for free here. Not everything that is spiritual in this world is good. People are so easily deceived today, it seems. Not everything that claims to be spiritual is good. There are good spirits and there are evil spirits. There is spiritual light. There is spiritual darkness. Just because somebody in this world says, hey, I'm spiritual, it doesn't mean they're any good. They might just be bad to the bone. I'm up to two musical references for those who are counting this morning. Now here's another tidbit of information that we all really need to know. Satan never fights fair. He doesn't even know how to fight fair. He is so tricky, you pretty much need to catch him in the act when he's attacking you. You know, Satan can't physically attack you per se. Satan cannot walk up to you and just punch you right in the face or kick you in the shin. Everything Satan does by attack in your life, he does so by suggestion. This is how smart he is. He plants suggestions into your life. He plants ideas in your head. And if you listen to them long enough, you end up acting on those. And then you beat yourself up. He doesn't even have to do it. You make the choice to beat yourself up. Isn't that, that's, that's, that's a pretty smart enemy, don't you think? Hello? I just want to make sure this was still working. I heard silence. So that's why this spiritual battle that we're in is mostly a battle for our mind. It's a mental battle. All of those thoughts that you experience of anger and fear or depression, worry, 
They all come from Satan. They come at you and you've got to catch them in the act to realize what's going on. And the third thing this passage tells us is this. I must use every piece of armor. We can't get lazy and just put on a couple pieces and think I'll be okay because you will be attacked in the very area that you did not protect yourself in. I'm going to spend the rest of our time this morning looking at these different pieces of armor that God has given us, provided us to ward off and defeat the enemy. Verse 13 says, Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will be standing firm. That's a great promise from God, don't you think? Especially in these days that we're living, these times that we're living in. If we'll stay faithful to Him, we will remain standing. We have to use all of the armor or we're going to get hit. Now let me give you just a little background what's going on here. As Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians, he's in prison. He is the most famous prisoner in all of Rome. Everyone has heard of the Apostle Paul. He's not only in prison, but he's actually chained to a prison guard 24 hours a day. You remember that part of the story? He had a Roman centurion chained to him 24 hours a day which is a real drag for the Roman centurion because basically he's in prison too. So as Paul is writing this letter on how to win spiritual battles, we can kind of imagine that he probably looked over and he sees this Roman centurion that he's chained to. And I think there may have been a chance that as Paul looked up and down and saw all this armor that was on this Roman soldier, it may have inspired him a little in his writing. I don't know for sure. It's theory. But let's just say maybe that's what motivated him to compare that Roman armor to the armor of God. Because everything he mentions, a Roman centurion would be wearing. I find that interesting. I can see you're blown away by that also. So the first thing the Roman soldier would put on over his red tunic would be his big old giant belt. They were, almost looked like a weightlifter's kind of belt. It gave them uh, strength in their core, and it just kind of held them all together. In fact, the belt is what the other weapons would hang off of that he used in battle. So Paul makes a parallel, I think, here in verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The core strength of our life has absolutely has to be built on truth. If your life isn't based on truth, you are always, always, always going to get beat up and knocked down. The belt of truth, it represents integrity. You know what integrity is, right? Integrity is knowing what is right and doing what is right. That's integrity, knowing and doing what is right and what is true. Our life, if it is not based on truth, it very quickly falls apart. We need to have 
integrity in our relationships. We need to have financial integrity, sexual integrity, integrity in every part of our human existence. There has to be integrity. And when there isn't, things ultimately fall apart. So we need integrity in all of these areas of our life. And integrity is what? It's doing and knowing and doing what is right and true. Now, the opposite of integrity, knowing the truth, but yet not doing it. We have another word for that. What is it? Hypocrisy. Did I hear you say that? Thank you, Esther. You're... Hypocrisy. That's the word we have. We say one thing, but we do something else, right? The next piece of armor is the breastplate. Paul goes on to say in this same verse, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Now this piece of armor is specifically designed to protect your heart. The breastplate of righteousness. And what is righteousness? Righteousness is purity of heart. When we put on the breastplate of righteousness, we're saying to God, we're saying, God, I want to have a pure heart and I want to have pure motives for the things that I do and I need you to help protect that. That's why we put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, having a pure heart, that does not mean that we'll never do something wrong. None of us are ever going to be perfect, right? Janet always tells me I am, but I know I'm not. <laughs> oh, I, I forgot you were in here this morning. I, <laughs> she really doesn't say that very often at all. Of course, by that I mean never. None of us are ever going to be perfect no matter how hard we try. But what that does mean, it means that when you do something that you know is wrong, you're going to have enough conscience to regret that and turn from it and ask God to forgive you and help you to continue on and turning away from that. Now, something important to know is that God's Word tells us that God will not bless an impure heart. So if you're always busy praying for God's blessings in your heart, but you're not, you have very little concern about purifying your heart, you're really wasting your time. First comes the purified heart, then comes the blessings from God. That's the order in which it works. If you want God's blessings on your life, on your marriages, on your finances, you have to be working on having a purified heart. You have to be at least working on it. None of us get there fully. That's, but that's why Satan always attacks us with impurity. You know, he's attacking our ability to have a purified heart because he knows if we have that or we're working on it, God's blessing will be in our life and we will be able to defeat him. So he always attacks us. Stop and think about it. He always attacks us with impurity. And he attacks us today with all kinds of impurity, all kinds of moral impurity, especially the movies, porn, books, the junk on TV. I tell you, the stuff that is on TV today, if it would have been on TV when I was a kid, the whole nation would have been in an uproar. 
they'd have been going ballistic. They would have boycotted all three channels that we had. No one would have been watching TV rather than this nationwide acceptance of all this junk that has now even crept into prime time. You know, it started with the pay-per-view stuff, and we as Christians thought, well, you know, I'm not going to get too excited. I'm not going to pay for that junk. And it just kept coming and kept coming. And now our kids are watching it if we're not paying attention. So the, the moral impurity, the attacks are from every direction today. Now, but I say sometimes we allow it. And my illustration would be, if someone were to tell you, I want you to go outside and get a drink of water. Go outside and get a drink. So you go outside. I'm going to assume that most of you would be looking for some sort of clean water source. That you would not just go out to the street and start drinking out of the gutter. Right? And yet, why do so many people allow their minds to just wallow in the gutter with all of these attacks of impurity? And just accept it, not looking for a clean source. Mind pollution, I think, is worse than physical pollution because, let's face it, our mind is really all we've got. So when you allow this stuff into your mind, you are polluting it. Amen? Now, some people, I hear, I did... This one drives me nuts because I'll hear people say, you know, I, I, yeah, I watch a lot of that stuff, but it doesn't bother me. And I always want to say, oh, well, then that's the problem right there. Your mind and conscience are so seared because if your mind was pure, this junk would be bothering the daylights out of you. So there's there's the big problem right there. Another very popular way for Satan to get to you to, to get you to be impure today is through greed. This is a very popular tool that he uses. Satan knows that if he can just keep you wanting just a little bit more than you've got, you're never going to be content. You'll never be completely satisfied, and then your thoughts will be more around yourself than anything else. Aren't you glad that's never crept into your life? Satan's pretty smart, isn't he? So the third thing that the, this is not the third piece of armor, but the third thing a soldier probably would have put on would have been his shoes. The Roman soldier's shoes had little cleats on them, kind of like a baseball shoe, so that they would dig in. You know, you could stand firm and you wouldn't go slip sliding away when the battle started to get gooey. I think the Roman soldiers had a little song. It went, uh, it went like this. <clears throat> slip sliding away. Slip sliding away. You know the bloodier the battle, the more you slip sliding away. Okay, so anyway, I'm up to three. I'm on a roll this morning. But the truth is this. The truth is no self-respecting Roman soldier would have ever gone into battle wearing a pair of Crocs or wearing some of those little flimsy Toms, you know. I don't care who got 50 cents because you bought the Tom. They, they wouldn't have wore those. They wanted some shoes that gave them stability, right? 
Paul referred to those shoes as the, the good news of peace. Paul's saying here, if you want to be able to stand up in life and stand during the storms of life, then you're going to need God's peace in your life. Isn't that the truth? Don't we today need God's peace in our life? I mean, people, Christians, everyone like, I mean, the, so the fear is running rampant. Now, fear of, over COVID-19, fear over what happens if the elections don't go the way I want them to go. There's a lot of fear. Paul is saying what we need is peace, God's peace in our life. If you have a lot of conflict in your life, you open yourself up for attack. God wants you to be at peace with him and be at peace with those who are around you. Jesus called it the great commandment. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. But here's one more important thing to know about Satan. Satan is very predictable. He's super predictable. He operates the same way basically all the time. He'll attack your integrity with lies about you. He'll attack your purity with all forms of lustful things. And he will attack your peace with a bunch of worries. I tell you, his modus operandi is always the same. So when we're worried about something, we make ourselves very vulnerable to the attack of Satan. Satan knows that worry always leads to anxiety. Will anybody dispute that this morning? When you're worried about something, it leads to anxiety. Anxiety always leads to fear. And fear always leads to us doing something stupid. That's an absolute fact. The Bible tells us that we should do two things with peace. We should live it and we should speak it. Romans 12, 18 said, As much as it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. God's telling us as Christians, we need to be peacemakers, not troublemakers, right? So the next piece of armor that Paul mentions, he says, in addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Paul's saying we're going to need the shield of faith to block all of these fiery arrows or fiery darts that Satan throws at us. And here's one more important thing to note. Faith is what gives our life certainty. I want you to say that with me. Faith gives our life certainty. Certainty is a quality that every one of us need in life. Because the trouble starts when we become uncertain about things. Think about it, back to your life. When the trouble starts, it starts immediately as the uncertainty starts. Certainty is trusting God when everything around us seems to be going nuts. That's what certainty is. And at this present time in our human history, as we say, we need all the certainty we can get, right? Because the world has gone completely crazy, who would agree with me? And the crazy thing is, it went completely crazy in about 150 days. Here's what I mean. About 150 days ago, the world was just crazy. 
Now, 150 days later, it's completely crazy. Amazing, isn't it? But that's what the shield of faith is all about. It's about having the certainty of knowing what God has said and that he is going to help us regardless of what the battle is. He's going to help us through to victory. Amen? A few years ago, it was just a few years ago, there was a very popular bumper sticker among Christians. I'd see it on the bumpers and the backs of cars. How many of you remember this? It said, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. It was on church signs even. God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Well, it was a very cute little saying, but in fact, it was very theologically flawed. Because if it was going to be theologically accurate, it would have said this. It would have said, God said it, that settles it whether I believe it or not. That's the big problem we have in the world today. People make up their own truth or their own interpretation of what God has said to kind of fit their lifestyle. They pick and choose what they're going to believe and what they're not going to believe, and that always leads to trouble. God said it. That settles it, whether I believe it or not. Because God's truth is never based on whether we choose to believe it or not, right? What we choose to believe has nothing to do with what is actually God's truth. Hopefully we will accept it because it is the truth. But his truth doesn't change just because we choose not to believe it, does it? There's a lot of people going to find that out the hard way. That's the sad thing. A whole bunch of people are headed down the road where they're going to find out it was truth whether they chose to believe it or not. You know, what God has said about sexual relations is true whether we believe it or not. What he has said about money is true whether we believe it or not. What he has said about salvation is true whether we choose to believe it or not. So God's promises are true even, even when they don't seem to be evident in our life at that moment. I like how the King James Version says it. It, it called those arrows, he referred to them as fiery darts. Fiery darts are all mental things. They're things that Satan loves to put in your head. Here's just a few examples. Doubt. Doubt is a fiery dart. Now, did God, did God really say that? I, I don't know. I mean, can I really trust God? That's just that guy's interpretation. Or maybe that was for another time, or that, that's probably for somebody else, but not necessarily for me. All of those kind of attitudes and questions of doubt, those are fiery darts sent to destroy us. Amen? Discouragement. There's a big one. Satan all the time says, you know you're, you know you're not going to get any better. That nothing's ever going to change. This situation is not going to change. So, you know, it's, it's probably, it's just going to get worse. So just give it up. Why even try? Fiery dart. The fiery dart of delay. Now, this is one fiery dart I particularly do not enjoy. The fiery dart of delay. Why is this taking so long? God, you know I've prayed about this. You know I'm sincere. Why is it taking so long? 
I wanted this to happen by now. It hasn't happened by now. I'm telling you, delay can oftentimes be a fiery dart. Or difficulty. Difficulty is a fiery dart. Why is this so hard? Why is marriage so tough? Why, why can't I get a job? Why can't I have more money? Why do I always whine like this? Depression. Man, I, I just feel like giving up. Life is not worth all this hassle. I just don't feel like I can go on. I tell you, depression is a fiery dart. Doubt, discouragement, delay, difficulty, depression. When any of these things are all happening in your life, you need certainty. We live in uncertain times. What we all need is a good, strong dose of certainty. And the only place we find true certainty is in a relationship with God. That's it. That's the only place. I would say Satan's biggest dart, though, is probably the doubt thing, the doubt dart. If he can just get us doubting a little bit, that's all he needs. So here is how to handle the dart of doubt. You ready? Because this is very, very theologically deep. I need for you to be paying attention or it'll just blow right past you. Is everybody ready to receive something very theologically deep on how to defeat the fiery dart of doubt? Let me see your hand if you're ready to receive because it's, it's going to blow your mind. Here it is. Doubt your doubts and believe your beliefs. Whew, man, that's deep. It sounds so difficult. Doubt your doubts and believe you. And, and the reason I say that is because this is where most people get all jacked up in their life. This is because they get that backwards. They start to believe their doubts and they start to doubt their beliefs. And as soon as you get that backwards, you are in for a good beating of your life. I said all that for free, just threw it in there. So who's glad you came to church this morning? Doubt your doubts and believe your beliefs. Now, the fourth thing you're going to need, according to Paul, is the helmet of salvation. The helmet was probably the most important piece of a soldier's armor because it protected this little bean up here. Head wounds are much more likely to be mortal wounds. So the helmet of salvation is to protect your mind. Once your mind is wounded, you are in trouble. If you're going to win your battles over doubt and depression and discouragement and difficulty, you're absolutely going to have to protect your mind. Salvation is what protects us. When we put on salvation, it gives us this whole new mind. The Bible tells us he renews our mind. And if you don't have Jesus in your heart, then you are wide open to attack because Satan is never afraid of you or your words. He's only afraid of God's word. It's the only thing he fears. We could spend all day talking about this one, but let me just say this. It's amazing what people will allow into their minds, what they watch, read, listen to, look at. 
you have to protect your mind. Colossians 3.2 tells us to keep our minds on things above, not on worldly things. You know, you can't always choose what happens to you, but you can always choose what you're going to think about and look at. You have 100% control over that. If you don't want to think about something, you start thinking about something else. If you don't want to look at something, close your eyes. Leave the room. Do whatever. You have complete control over that. Amen? When you choose to think about things that are good and right and true, you're putting on that helmet of salvation. And finally, Paul tells us that there's one last piece of armor that we need. We need the sword. Verse 17, and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. A shield, you know, that's a, that's a defensive weapon. A sword is an offensive weapon. You're going on attack. This is where you're going after Satan instead of him just coming after you because you have the sword of the Spirit. You're saying, I'm coming after you, pal. You're not getting my family. You're not getting my marriage. You're not getting my mind. The Bible is your sword. Amen? So that being said, please understand this. Some people just foolishly go chasing after the devil with no sword. That's a dumb idea. It's never going to work well. Never going to turn out well. They don't know enough Bible to fight their way out of a paper bag, but they think they can whip the devil. It always turns out very, very badly. See, here's a newsflash. Satan not only has more knowledge than you because he's had thousands of years to gain all his knowledge. Satan is in and of himself more powerful than you. Now, before you run out of here screaming heresy, you just have to understand If you don't have God living in you, Satan is more powerful than you. And he will defeat you. That's just the way it is. I'm sorry. Don't shoot the messenger. In and of yourself, you are never going to defeat Satan. Only with God's sword, which gives you power, are you ever going to defeat Satan in your life. The other thing you need to know is this. The Bible doesn't actually become your sword until you actually know what it says. You can go chasing after the devil, waving two Bibles in both hands, but if you don't know what's in there, you are still going to get beat up really, really bad. You with me? You can have a hundred Bibles on your shelf at home, and as long as they're closed and on the shelf and they always stay that way, you have no sword. There's no power in having one or a hundred Bibles just sitting around. The truth has to come out of... The truth, here's how it works. The truth comes out of here, and it kind of it goes into here before it becomes a sword that can actually offer you protection. We good on that? I'll just keep moving on. Who said, Whew, thank the Lord. Jesus taught us firsthand how to fight the temptations of Satan when he was in the wilderness. You remember these stories. Every time he was tempted, what did he fight it off with? The Word. His sword. 
But here's another important piece of information. I think that you really have to have some scriptures memorized in order to have a really good, strong sword. Because I don't know if, if you have noticed this, but I've noticed it in my life, and I think it's true of everyone. The times in your life where you were absolutely the most tempted were probably times you did not have a Bible in your hand. They were probably times where you had placed yourself in some situation where the temptation was just almost overwhelming, and you certainly didn't bring the Bible with you. Do I need to go on, or oh well, you all know what I'm talking about here. We've all put ourselves in these ridiculous situations, and then we expect not to give in to temptation. So, probably the most powerful times we've ever been tempted are times where we didn't have, we didn't have the sword with us. We didn't have, you know, and if you don't have your Bible in your hand where you can look something up, you better have it in here, right? Or you have no sword. So the Bible doesn't become your sword until you know what it says. And so I'll wrap this whole thing up this morning by two questions. One, how do I put all this armor on? Prayer. That's how you put it on. Prayer is how you put on your armor. You, you say, God, I need integrity in my life. Help me to have integrity. I need to know your truth, Lord God. I need to have it planted in my heart. Lord, I need your purity in my life. Cleanse my heart, Lord. Protect it. Protect my mind, Lord God. Help me to keep these sinful thoughts and temptation. Help me to just keep them out of my mind. I need your help with that, God. Give me peace, Lord. And Lord, every day, give me the certainty that you are in control. That's how we put on the armor of God, right? And so the last question, when's the best time in your day to dress for battle? Does your day start in the morning or the evening? I guess it depends on what shift you're working, right? But for most, most people, the, the day starts in the morning. So when your day starts, your battle starts. You say, when does my battle start? As soon as your feet hit the floor. Sometimes it starts while you're still laying in bed. And you're just sitting there, all this junk's running through you. Sometimes the devil doesn't even give you a chance to get your feet on the floor, right? But for the most part, your battle starts when your feet hit the floor. Now, as a rule, most soldiers will put on their armor before the battle rather than afterwards. 3 amens. That's, that's, that's a wonderful thing. Most soldiers generally put their armor on before the battle, not after the battle. So start your day, and I'm closing with this. Prayer partners, get ready to come up here. Start your day with a prayer, something like this. God, help me put on my armor today. As I go out into battle, let me have every piece of armor on. Lord, give me integrity, purity, peace, and certainty and bring your word to my mind as I need it. Every day, start with a prayer, something like that. That's how you put on the armor. Amen? You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. 
For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.